You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostrecker of Ravens Wire, and we are back. It is day two of the Ravens being the AFC champions for the regular season, of course, not the actual AFC champions. That comes in January, but we are here day two, the Ravens defeating the Browns 31-15 to in Week 16 on Sunday. And I am not joined by Spencer Schultz today, unfortunately. With this crazy, hectic holiday week, everybody's going around everywhere. So Spencer and I hope to get together for a day after Christmas special Locked On Ravens episode. Not a Taco Tuesday, but a Taco Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully that'll work out. But for today, you can just hear my beautiful and lovely voice again for the second day in a row. And we're going to do this one with some general Ravens news, notes, and quotes starting first. Kind of structure it like a Thursday episode, but there's a lot of news to get through. And so doing it today on a Tuesday will give us some time to really analyze what happened yesterday and the news that came out, what's kind of going on with the Ravens as they head into the playoff bye in week 17 as well. So we're going to do some general Ravens news notes and quotes first, and then we're going to go directly off of that in our second segment and talk about if the Ravens should be resting their starters in week 17, resting their stars and how that's going to impact them in the playoffs, how that's going to maybe impact some of the backup players, what that could mean. And so we're going to get into all of that in our second segment. And then finally, in the third segment, we're going to do actually our mini preview of the Steelers at Ravens game in our third segment today. And the reason I want to do that is because, well, honestly, there's not a ton to preview. This game does not mean a thing for the Ravens, and it means the world to the Steelers. So obviously it's important as Ravens fans, I'm sure that every one of us does not want the Steelers to make the playoffs. But for the Ravens, a lot of guys are going to be sitting. Even if the Ravens lose, they still will finish at 13-3, and which is an exceptional record and so much better than what everybody thought the Ravens were going to finish. So we're going to preview the game in our third segment, just a mini one, and then we're going to get into our full game preview as usual on Friday. Friday. So let's get right into it, starting with our general Ravens news, notes, and quotes. And let's start with the big one. Mark Ingram left Sunday's game against the Browns. What was characterized as a calf strain, originally he left the stadium in a boot. And although there was no structural damage, there was still some uncertainty as to how severe the strain was. Now, Some great news for Ravens fans, for the Ravens. Mark Ingram's calf strain was confirmed, but it is a moderate to mild calf strain. And of course, he's not going to play this week. And I don't think he was ever going to play this week, regardless of whether he got injured in that game on Sunday. But what this does mean is that he might not be at 100% come playoff time. And the hope for the Ravens, and Ian Rappaport reported that the hope is that Mark Ingram is going to be healthy and ready for the playoffs. But personally, I don't think it's going to be at 100%. Sometimes these calf strains can linger. Anyone who's had one of these can attest to it. Even if it's a slight one, you still kind of feel it. And Mark Ingram was saying he felt it quite a bit after the game. And of course he is. It was a non-contact injury. It looked pretty scary. It looked like an Achilles at first for me. And that was that was a no from me. That could not happen to the Ravens at a worse time right before the playoffs. But luckily the Ravens and Mark Ingram just escaped with a mild calf sprain. Now the Ravens can use their young guys. I mean, people forget what Gus Edwards was able to do last year in a Ravens uniform after taking over that starting running back position from Alex Collins. When you look at his 2018 stats, 
he averaged 5.2 yards per carry, 137 rushing attempts for 718 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. He also had 20 yards on two receptions. And Edwards has only gotten better in his second season, although his stats look relatively the same, but I sense a harder running style from him and his ability to make cuts now, those cuts in the open field. When you watch Gus Edwards in 2018, there were a lot of straight just downhill runs, and that's of course what Gus Edwards' specialty is. He does not get stopped behind the line very often. But Gus Edwards this season, 112 carries for 581 yards and two touchdowns. That's, again, a 5.2 yards per carry average. And what he's been able to do is a compliment to Mark Ingram. If Mark Ingram was not brought in in the offseason to help not even stabilize the running game, to help elevate the running game, I would have been absolutely fine with having Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, and another guy rotating throughout that rotation because I, what Gus Edwards proved to me last year is that he can do it. He's not a big household name yet, but the way he was performing and the way he's done it this season with less carries, and it's not even that many carries less. Yes, he only played in 11 games last season, only started six this season, hasn't started a game, but he's played in all 15 so far. Edwards has proven to me that even with Mark Ingram going down, he is a guy who can carry the load for Baltimore, and the Ravens have been making sure not to overuse Mark Ingram. That's why he has 112 carries this season. That's why they're not feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding Mark Ingram, because you have a guy who just turned 30 less than a week ago. Mark Ingram can't handle that same workload, and part of the reason the Ravens' running attack has been so successful is the fact that they are able to rotate in quality running backs on every single snap, keep them fresh, as we've been talking about throughout my entire existence as the host on this show, and making sure their players can stay healthy by not absolutely just pounding them into the ground by overusing them. So a great job by Baltimore. Unfortunately, injuries do happen around the league. The Ravens, of course, lost Tony Jefferson lost Tavon Young, lost to Sean Elliott, lost Pernell McPhee. This is nothing new to the Ravens, and if you've been here for the long haul, if you've been a Ravens fan for the long haul, you know the days and the years of having 19 players on injured reserve, 21 players on injured reserve. This is a thing that happens to all teams in the league, and sometimes at inopportune times like this. So unfortunately, Mark Ingram goes down, but fortunately, it's not a serious thing. And this will, of course, be a developing story throughout the three weeks that the Ravens have before they play their next meaningful football in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. Now let's get into the other big announcement that was made by Baltimore. John Harbaugh saying that Robert Griffin III will start at quarterback for the Ravens against the Steelers, and Trace McSorley could also see time. That means Lamar Jackson will not be among the starters playing. John Harbaugh also announced this. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Brandon Williams, Earl Thomas, Marshall Yonda, a lot of guys are going to be sitting in this game, and that was just a list that John Harbaugh provided, but that's not everybody who's going to sit. I believe that they're not going to play guys like Marcus Peters, who had a little injury scare with his chest. They're not going to play guys like Orlando Brown Jr. They won't play guys like Mark Andrews. It's going to be interesting to see these young guys step up and play, and of course, we're going to get into all of this much more in depth in our second segment here in a few minutes. But it's going to be interesting to see these players like Anthony Averett, Biggie Marshall, even guys like Justin Ellis and Ben Powers, who have not been active for most of the season, come in and hopefully end the Steelers' playoff hopes. And we're going to also get into if this was the right decision by Baltimore. But when you have guys in the fourth quarter of a Week 16 game getting up limping, your quarterback, your running back, your tight end, 
it's almost just second nature to say, wow, okay, we don't have anything to play for here, and we don't want to risk this again happening in Week 17. The Pittsburgh defense is absolutely incredible. TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Steven Nelson, Joe Hayden, Vince Williams, the list goes on and on. Those guys, they're vicious, and you don't want to put anybody at risk when it's not necessary to put them at risk. And just one snap, one movement, one hit can end a career if it's a serious hit or a serious injury. So you have to be careful with your stars, and we're again going to get into all of it soon. But let's just look at one quote here, and it's from John Harbaugh about that game in Cleveland. And this is a two-parter. John Harbaugh on why he challenged Jimmy Smith pass interference on Eldo Beckham on that pass that looked very uncatchable and there was a lot of hand fighting going on. He said, quote, I thought the contact was minimal and the ball was four feet over his head. I don't know. What are you going to do? It's crazy. The Ravens ended up losing the challenge. And this was a play where if you look back to the Super Bowl, let's look back to the 2013 Super Bowl Ravens and 49ers. The 49ers have four plays from inside the 10 yard line to score. And let's look at that fourth down play. Jimmy Smith, on Michael Crabtree in the right corner of that end zone. Donnell Ellerby blitzes right up the middle, untouched, gets amazing pressure on Kaepernick, forces him to throw the football early, a little bit over his head. Now, Jimmy Smith and Michael Crabtree are both hand fighting. Both players hand fighting, those penalties, the refs usually do not call because both the players are doing things. Both of them are hindering the other's ability to either get to the football or whatnot. Also, the ball was uncatchable. It was over Crabtree's head. So there was no way that even if Crabtree had a clear path to the football, if Jimmy Smith wasn't there, there was basically no guarantee he was going to catch the football. You look back to the play on Sunday against Cleveland, the exact same thing was happening. Was Jimmy Smith hand fighting with Odell Beckham? Yes, he was. But was Odell Beckham also hand fighting with Jimmy Smith? Yes, he was. It was a mutual thing. The ball was uncatchable, out of the end zone, and yet the officials still throw the flag. John Harbaugh just wants to clarify this stuff. He wants to have it explained to him because he doesn't understand. And he then went into detail about the LJ Fort interception that should have counted but didn't count. I talked about that interception that Devin Bush had against the Ravens and how it kind of had a similar look to it. And Harbaugh said, explain it to me, please, so we can understand it. End quote. He compared it to what the Bush interception looked like. And the officiating in the NFL right now, it, it's painful to say this, but it is just not good. It seems like every week there's a new blown call, whether it be with the Ravens or another team outside of Baltimore. And it's just not good for the game of football. Now, the NFL is reportedly doing a top-down review of officiating, which should be good for the league and everybody else involved. But you have to look at it and say, wow, you know, every week there's something new that's affecting the game of football. You look at even the NFC Championship game last year, most likely cost the Saints a shot at the Super Bowl to take down the Patriots. But then you have the Rams go in and that game was eh, not the best Super Bowl I've ever seen. But regardless, the officiating needs to get better in the NFL, no matter how it's done. Officials need to be held accountable and of course, everybody wants it explained to them. You have guys like Gene Steratore up in the booth, and it just doesn't help. You almost feel like sometimes they're trying to defend the officials, so I don't know what needs to change. John Harbaugh's not happy with it. I'm not happy with it. Something has to change. We are going to go to break now, and when we come back, we are going to be getting into the Ravens' decision to rest their starters, talk about what it means for the team, means for the starters, means for the backups, means for the playoffs, and an overall evaluation of whether it's the right decision for the Ravens or not. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. 
Welcome back to the second segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostrecker still with you here. And we just got into the general Ravens news notes and quotes, including the Ravens' decision to sit Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Marshall Yonda, Earl Thomas, Brandon Williams, and most likely others as they play Pittsburgh in Week 17 in a game that means nothing for the Ravens, but absolutely everything for the Steelers. And this is a decision that I am 100% on board with. You have to look at the big picture. I mentioned it in the first segment. You see these guys going down with injury in this Week 16 game against Cleveland. Lamar Jackson gets up with a limp. Mark Ingram goes down with a non-contact injury. Mark Andrews gets up with a limp. You have to understand that, yes, that Cleveland game was a must-win game, and till the end, you put your starters in a position to win the game. You put your starters in to put the team in a position to win the game. But now you have a game that literally means nothing to the Ravens outside of either statistics and team record. That's the only thing it means to the Ravens. They've won the North. They've clinched the top seed in the AFC. And now you have the opportunity in a grueling, grueling 16-game schedule, 17-week season. You have the opportunity to rest guys for two and a half weeks on route to the divisional round where, yes, you can argue the fact that they're, oh, they're going to be rusty. The fact that Lamar Jackson is not going to play for three weeks means that he's going to be rusty and he's not going to be able to perform at the level he's been performing at. Well, I personally don't think that's true. Yes, there might be a bit of rust, but Lamar Jackson didn't really play in the preseason and we saw what he was able to do in week one against Miami. And yes, Sure, we can say it's just the Dolphins, but in fact, it wasn't just the Dolphins. Lamar Jackson dominated that team, and he didn't even have to play the fourth quarter. The fact of the matter is, when you have an opportunity to rest guys, rest your stars, rest veterans for the good of their body, it will reap rewards for you when you get to the playoffs. Now, what this means for the Ravens is they are going to be starting Robert Griffin III against the Steelers. And this, in my opinion, is an opportunity for Robert Griffin III to audition. I think the Ravens are doing this, obviously, 100% to rest their starters, keep them healthy, and keep them safe for the divisional round. But part of it might be the fact that they want to audition Robert Griffin III so that he can go to a team and maybe start next year. Robert Griffin III hasn't had the opportunity to do a lot in Baltimore. This season for the Ravens, he's played in six games. He's 12 for 17 to 70.6 completion percentage. He has 129 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. The thing with Robert Griffin III is he was an exceptional talent coming out of Baylor. The Redskins traded literally their entire system for him to get up and trade up for him. And the fact of the matter for Robert Griffin III is that he, unfortunately, is not the athlete that Lamar Jackson is. And this is where I'll say that I might not be as scared of losing Greg Roman as some other people are. Yes, Greg Roman is one of the architects and absolute essential mind in building this Ravens offense. But what Lamar Jackson brings to this Ravens team is something that Greg Roman cannot replicate with any other football team. If you bring in another excellent football mind who thinks the same as Greg Roman, I personally, and this might be a bold take, don't think that the drop-off will be all that significant. We saw in the game against the Jets, when Robert Griffin III came in, Roman tried to run that same offensive scheme with the options. When Robert Griffin III pulled that ball back to run around the corner, he could not get to the edge. The Jets defenders were able to catch him behind the line of scrimmage. 
that's a thing for the Steelers to look out for. I think the offense that we see in week 17 against the Steelers might look, dare I say it, a bit more traditional than what the Ravens have been employing. And yes, of course, there are going to be option plays, plays where you get Gus Edwards running straight up the middle, Rob Berger from the third will pull the ball back and run around the edge and all of that. But when you look at the tape from Robert Griffin III's game against the Jets, he does not look explosive. And that's really where you have to get a quarterback who has those explosive traits like Lamar Jackson, that elusiveness, the aggressiveness as a runner, but also the ability to put touch on passes so that you have to respect him both as a runner and as a thrower. I don't think that teams are going to respect Robert Griffin III as a runner like they do Lamar Jackson, and there's no reason for them to do that. So we'll get into this in the third segment alongside what this means for Trace McSorley, but I think when you look at what the Ravens game plan is going to be against the Steelers, it might be a little bit more traditional. Now let's get into Trace McSorley. Lamar Jackson sitting means that Robert Griffin III will start, but Harbaugh also alluded to the fact that Robert Griffin III might cede some snaps to Trace McSorley. McSorley might get into the game. McSorley is a Penn State legend in his four years there. He had just under 10,000 yards passing, 9,899 yards, 8.1 yards per attempt. He had 77 touchdowns compared to 25 interceptions, completed 59.3% of his passes. He also had 30 touchdowns on the ground an underrated part of his game is as a runner he had 798 yards and 12 touchdowns in his final season at Penn State and I think that I want to see more McSorley than I do Robert Griffin III and that is because I think that Trace McSorley has everything that it takes to be Lamar Jackson's backup at this level he can run the same system he is a little more explosive than Robert Griffin III as a runner He's also an underrated passer, and as a quarterback, you know, it's hard to say underrated passer, but some people look at McSorley's size. He's just six feet tall. He's 202 pounds, and they say, oh, this guy can't play quarterback. I think that if we see McSorley in extended game action against a good defense like the Steelers, he can put up some solid numbers. Now, is it going to be perfect? No, absolutely not. But in his first NFL game action outside the preseason, I think that if he got the opportunity, McSorley could really do some damage against this Pittsburgh Steeler defense. So I hope that he does get to play. And looking at the other ripple effects from these players sitting with Mark Ingram, you're going to have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill sharing the load. Justice Hill in particular is going to get an extended look and he looked good in his action in Cleveland on Sunday, catching passes out of the backfield, looking explosive as a runner. When Justice Hill is in open space, he is as dangerous as anybody. He is going to be a part of this Ravens team for years to come. You look at Brandon Williams sitting that means that Justin Ellis is going to get an opportunity to play again. Ellis was brought in when Michael Pierce was injured. They brought in him a Demata Pecco. But this is a game where Ellis will get his chance to sign the big body from the Raiders. You look at Marshall Yonda sitting, you might get your first Ben Powers sighting as the Ravens look to get their rookies and young guys more involved and keep their veterans healthy. Ben Powers has been a guy who's been inactive for most, if not all, of the season. And you have to look at the Ravens saying, okay, I think he's one year away, and I think that's what they're thinking. Ben Powers will have the opportunity to go out there. Anthony Averett and Biggie Marshall will have opportunities to go out there and perform. Averett struggled in his role when he was looking to become a part of that regular Ravens secondary rotation when guys were going down with injuries left and right but he will get another opportunity to do that Brendan Trawick and Anthony Levine might see some time at safety along with Brandon Carr with Earl Thomas going down there are a lot of guys who are going to get playing time 
but we have to hope that these guys don't get injured because they are fundamental parts to the Ravens. Every guy, 1 through 53, is massively important to this team. If one of them goes down, the whole game plan, the whole scheme can switch because you don't have an extra backup in there. You don't have your extra offensive lineman, the like. So it's important to make sure that, yes, the veterans and the stars are resting, but we also have to get out of this game injury-free as the Ravens look to extend their winning streak to 12 games on route to a 14-2 and record. We are going to go to break, but when we return for our final segment, we are going to get into the mini-preview of this Steelers at Ravens game, so stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Allstriker is still with you here, and we have gotten into a lot already talking about Mark Ingram's injury, talking about the Ravens' decision to rest their starters in Week 17 against Pittsburgh, but that's exactly what this last segment is going to be about. Week 17 in Pittsburgh, getting into our mini preview. This game does not mean a thing for the Ravens. Let's start it off right there. This game does not mean a thing for the Ravens, and that's exactly why they are resting their starters Does it mean maybe a little something? All right, we can say maybe. The team record, the stats, whatever you want to call it. But in the end, the Ravens are locked into the number one seed in the AFC. They literally cannot do any better than that. That's what the goal was going into the year. Adam Lefke absolutely nailed this on the head before the season. He said, if you haven't seen this video, you should look it up. Him predicting the Ravens not only is the top threat in the AFC, but the number one seed in the AFC before the season started. He believed in this Ravens team when not a lot of people were doing it. So shout out to him. Ravens Nation, we should follow this man into the depths of wherever because he knows talent when he sees it. But for the Steelers, this game means a lot. With their loss to the Jets, they actually need help to get into the playoffs because the Titans, due to all the crazy tiebreakers, now have that tiebreaker over the Steelers. The Titans are slotted into the sixth seed in the AFC. Pittsburgh has a few ways they can get in, but the most likely scenario is going to be the fact that if the Titans win, the Steelers are done. It doesn't matter what happens in Baltimore. If the Ravens win, then they're out. That's a given fact as well. If both teams lose, the Steelers are done. So, what does that mean? It means that it's the battle of the backups. And you would think in a game that has major playoff implications for at least one team, there'd be some stars playing in this game. And there are, to a degree, you look at TJ Watt and the like. But it's the battle of the backups. That's what I'm going to be calling this game. Robert Griffin III against Devlin Hodges. The Steelers have had QB controversy all season long after Ben Roethlisberger went down with an elbow injury. And the team turned to their third round pick last season, Mason Rudolph, to help right the ship. But Rudolph, unfortunately, was very ineffective. But we have to remember these two teams played in October in week five, the Ravens beating the Steelers 26 to 23 in an overtime game. And this was a game that the Steelers looked to have control of for most of it. Lamar Jackson did not have a great day, going 19 of 28 for 161 yards, one touchdown and three interceptions. Mason Rudolph was also ineffective, going 13 of 20 for 131 yards and one touchdown before getting literally knocked out by Earl Thomas. Then Devlin Hodges came in, and he actually looked pretty good against Baltimore, making big throws in big situations. 7 of 9 for 68 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. That stat line does not pop off the screen, but if you were watching the game, I think you know what I'm talking about. He looked to be picking the Ravens' defense apart, 
up until Marlon Humphrey literally might have saved their entire season with that punch out on Juju Smith-Schuster in overtime that set up Justin Tucker for the game winner in overtime. Smith-Schuster finished with seven receptions for 75 yards and one touchdown. James Conner, 14 carries for 55 yards in a touchdown. But the issue for the Ravens if they want to win this game with Robert Griffin III is going to be that Pittsburgh defense. The defense has been insane for the Steelers this year. They currently have the fifth rated passing defense giving up 202.1 yards per game. And then you want to look at the rushing? Well, they're right in the top 15 with that as well. They're 11th in the league, giving up 102 yards per game, only 3.7 yards per rush. This is going to be a very low-scoring game, I can feel it. The Steelers' offense has not been good. Mason Rudolph on the season has only thrown for 1,675 yards, 13 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. He ranks 31st in the league in QBR with a 34.2, but he's injured. He's out. Devlin Hodges is going to be the starting quarterback for this game against the Ravens with Paxton Lynch, the Broncos' former first-round pick, backing him up. Hodges has thrown for 968 yards, five touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Actually was playing pretty well up until his last two weeks against Buffalo and against the Jets in two losses. Has thrown six interceptions compared to just one touchdown. He was benched against the Jets, and Mason Rudolph came in, got injured, and so that's why Hodges is now the starter. But it's going to be interesting to see with Anthony Averett in there, Brendan Trowick, and all these other guys, if Devlin Hodges can do it. It's going to be essentially a second-team defense against the second-team offense because Juju Smith-Schuster has been out for a while. James Conner has been banged up and got banged up once again against the Jets in that loss. This is going to be two second-team offenses going at it. The only real win for Pittsburgh is that they will have their first team defense out there against what is most likely going to be the Ravens' second team defense, so advantage Pittsburgh. But when you look at how the Steelers have been performing, and they have everything to play for, they're going to go out there and try their hardest to win the game, but that might be advantage Ravens because they have young guys out there. The Ravens are going to have young guys out there who are hungry to make a name for themselves. Anthony Averitt wants to get revenge for his subpar showing. Robert Griffin III wants to audition for teams, wants to make sure that it's known that he can still play in the football league. Gus Edwards wants more carries. Justice Hill wants more carries. Jaleel Scott will probably play and want receptions. All these guys are going to be playing at 100%. I don't think this game is going to be lack of effort. It's just when you look at the talent that's going to be on the football field, Pittsburgh might have more of it at this time because the Ravens literally are saving their health for the postseason, which is exactly what they should be doing. With that being said, I have not picked the Ravens to lose in a very long time, and the Ravens have not lost in a very long time. Actually, the stat that blew my mind away was that the Baltimore Orioles have lost a game more recently than the Baltimore Ravens. Both teams lost on September 29th. The Orioles just did it two hours later. So that's that absolutely amazing, astonishing. But I'm not going to pick the Ravens to lose here. This is going to be a tight come down to the wire game for both teams in terms of offense, in terms of defense. Like I said, I do believe it's going to be very low scoring. But in the end, I think Baltimore takes this one. I think they're going to finish 14-2, best record in franchise history. They have all the momentum right now, and they've had it for so many weeks. That stretch of games against the Seahawks, the Texans, the Patriots, the Rams, everybody, the 49ers, the Bills, the Browns, that stretch of games, all the way, even you could argue, past week six, once week seven started. Nobody expected the Ravens to be this good. They have been defying the odds time and time again. 
and that's not going to change this week. I really don't think it's going to. So if I have to give a final score prediction, low scoring, I'm going to say 17 to 13 Ravens. They pull out a victory, very defensive game, but I think Robert Griffin III, Trace McSorley and the like will get it done in Baltimore before the Ravens pack it up for a week before the divisional round in the AFC. That's all I have for you today. Tomorrow, we're going to be getting back into it with even more Ravens talk on a very special Christmas Day episode, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.